Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war listening to Nurses Out Loud, Nurse News Analysis on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. America is currently grappling with a deeply concerning crisis that too few are even speaking about. Medical kidnappings are on the rise. There have been a frightening number of incidences of children being unjustly and forcibly removed from their family's care under the guise of medical necessity resulting in a severe violation of parental rights and the emotional well-being of the children involved. This alarming phenomenon is beginning to garner significant attention and has become a cause for urgent action. Among the many heart-wrenching stories that have come to light, the cases of baby Cyrus, Autumn Shaw, and Maya Kowalski stand as stark reminders of the devastating impact of medical kidnapping on innocent lives. These children, like countless others, have been torn away from their families, disrupting their sense of security, trust, and overall well-being. They all share a common experience of being victims trapped in a deeply flawed system. Their stories highlight the urgent need for comprehensive reform to protect the rights of families and ensure that medical interventions are pursued with the utmost respect for parental autonomy and the best interests of the child. This ongoing crisis has sparked outrage and concern among individuals and organizations alike. Advocacy groups like my own at Remnant Nursing, we have emerged to champion the cause of these vulnerable children and their families. Our mission is to protect and advocate for the children's rights affected by these medical kidnappings, offering support and guidance to these families who find themselves entangled in this nightmarish ordeal. With me today to discuss this alarming trend is a very special guest co-host, registered nurse, Gail McRae, who has been an outspoken advocate following her termination from Kaiser Permanente for refusing to comply with COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Gail, welcome. Thanks for being here with me today. Absolutely. I'm so grateful you're doing this, Kimberly. Uh, It is very necessary and essential for us to have these conversations. And even in adult medicine, um, I would say that was really where I got my taste of this as a professional is, you know, during the COVID lockdowns when we were isolating adults from their families. It's, you know, even though they're adults and they have more coping skills to deal with these types of things, it was nonetheless extremely traumatizing. And uh, 
the experiences of these children are just profoundly more impactful on families. So thank you for having this conversation. Of course, and I, I think it's it's so necessary that we start shining a light because you know as well as I do how uh, overused the emergency room is. A lot of people use the emergency room like a primary care or like an urgent care. And they will take their children there, not thinking anything of it. They maybe the child has a sore throat, or you know they'll they'll take their child to the emergency room for care. And unfortunately, on the other end of that is not always the care you would expect. Um, Absolutely. We, yeah, we can talk a little bit about, um, and I want you to talk about this. You know, we've we've put a lot out there about uh, Autumn Shaw little four-year-old girl uh, that was medically kidnapped out in Palo Alto, uh, California by the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. And I'm going to let you kind of talk on that. You were a fantastic advocate on our team for remnant nursing, and you advocated on behalf of Autumn and her family. And uh, so if you want to talk a little bit about uh, her situation, how she ended up there at Lucille Packard and, and kind of what transpired, um, to, to lead to the nightmare ordeal that that family had to go through. Absolutely. And, and on the subject of uh, parents visiting emergency rooms and just kind of feeling like that's the only option they have, uh, I have absolutely seen that amongst most of my friends and family. Uh, being a nurse, it's it, I've always taken that opportunity to try and dissuade my friends and family from those emergency room visits for little things like fevers and things like that. Uh, but it's a real concern and it ends up ending families in um, the potential for uh, hospital and administrative overreach situations, uh, I would recommend to any listeners out there, any parents who would like more information about just uh, having a better grasp for when and when not to really be concerned. I think that as a mother and as a nurse, I have had a full dose, and I'm sure you have too, Kimberly, of those mom hormones that really, you know, manipulate us into uh, a sense of urgency with our children when it may not actually, in fact, be the uh, the right decision. Um, we have these, you know, protective urges to take our kids in and, um, and so I understand that, and I understand that that is why parents end up in the hospitals when they don't necessarily need to be there. So the book I was going to recommend uh, is called uh, "Raise: How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor. And uh, it's got a lot of great information in there to try and help guide parents uh, to potentially a more uh, healthier outcome for families. And unfortunately for Autumn's uh, case, I don't necessarily think that she ended up in the hospital um, in one of those scenarios where her mother, um, you know, kind of went in without necessarily needing to. She was definitely in a very precarious situation and uh, she had made multiple um, urgent care visits and uh 
I would say that if she had had access to alternative therapies and more education in uh, things that were outside of the standard scope of Western care, she could have avoided potentially that hospitalization. But uh, there's a lot of, there's a huge lack of access for families. And that's why, Kimberly, I love so much what you're doing and what all of us are doing since we've stepped outside of this model of just trying to find and offer families other solutions. Uh, so yeah, Autumn, uh, Autumn and her daughter ended up in urgent care after multiple days of diarrhea and mucus. And uh, I, I would have liked there to have been uh, better urgent care in the uh, settings that she was given, but uh, unfortunately, she ended up being referred to uh, a children's hospital, which was Stanford uh, in California, where it's a research hospital. And that's another scenario where you may potentially end up having potentially not necessarily cutting edge care, but um, also more experimental based care, which is what happened to her. Yeah, they were they were referring to her as the case study of the week when she went in, which was very frightening and very unsettling to to Autumn's mom. Hope she she was saying, um, you know, that that's how they were referring to her right in front of the child. They were saying, yeah, she's going to be our case study of the week. Uh, nobody wants to to hear something like that when when they have a sick child. Absolutely, yeah. So she ended up there uh, with. Uh, I, believe she had a pretty extensive fever in addition to uh, the mucousy diarrhea for multiple days mm -hmm. and uh, failure to properly hydrate and nourish. Um, I got involved in her case uh, several days after admission when uh, she had already been placed on dialysis for renal failure after uh, the child was given a drug cocktail that was absolutely contraindicated uh, for this uh, this disease that they had diagnosed her with, and they really didn't even have confirmation. Do you remember the name of it, Kimberly? Uh, it was the HUS. HUS syndrome, right. Oh. And it's a, it's a neurological type of autoimmune disorder uh, uh, involving seizures and, um, gosh, it was my first time experiencing, uh, this kind of thing. I spent my career in, um, adult medicine and labor and delivery. And so I was learning kind of along the way with Autumn as far as what HUS was. Well, they had, there was two different things. So what they what, what it was was the HUS, which is um, it's hemolytic uh, uremic syndrome and it affects the kidneys and the blood clotting. And they so that's what they, their diagnosis was. And they were trying to mass flush the uh, infection out of her system. That's the best recollection I have of it. So they were trying to mass flush with uh, this cocktail of all of these really aggressive diuretics, uh, Lasix, Pumex, there are a couple of other ones. And what yep. happened, what happened when they did that 
Because they threw this little girl who had never received even so much as a pharmaceutical in her life, they threw her into renal failure. Um, And then from there, um, now she's had an an electrolyte balance. And then she proceeded to have a seizure. And it was, um, uh, there was a secondary diagnosis. It was like a cascade of events, all from these medical interventions, right? It was a cascade of events. Um, it was posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome. So PRES was the secondary thing. Again, this baby did not have the, any of these conditions when she came in. She went in there with an E. coli infection. And these interventions all led um, to this, this kind of just kicked off this cascade of events um, with the HUS, with the um, electrolyte imbalance, then the seizure. So yeah, that's kind of how she ended up Um, where she was. And, you know, the mother was just asking simply for um, maybe a gentler diuretic. That's all she did was ask a question. Yeah. And that's how all this started. Well, the drug cocktail uh, was Lasix, Diaryl, and um, Aminophilin. And Mm. it, it sent her into renal failure. And in addition to that, uh, I came to find out later that those drugs had never been, um, approved uh, for administration for pediatrics. And in addition to that, there were uh, adverse reactions, in fact, that included, uh, I believe it was also seizures and uh, electrolyte imbalance and renal failure. So they really did cause this reaction. And the sad part about it was, is that when the family and myself as a practitioner stepped in to advocate, uh, you know, we were really just demonized by the hospital and the care providers on the team. There was really uh, just such an aggressive relationship that the the staff there set up against the parents. Hope told me multiple times that she was afraid to say anything to the staff because she was worried that they were going to call CPS on her, even just to ask for simple things like, please, uh, you know, my daughter is clearly very distressed when we use certain products on her skin. Can we please, you know, try something more gentle? Yeah. Things like that. And that's it. And she was right to be concerned because by asking these simple questions uh, that it did result in um, the hospital contacting CPS because they were saying that um, the, the mother was refusing to comply with their treatment and she wasn't refusing to comply. She was simply asking questions. Um, and I do want to stop just for a second and, and say note that uh, nurse Michelle has jumped on the call and joined us. So nurse Michelle, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yes, and I I was literally having a flashback to the uh, show movie "Take Care of Maya" as she was okay. talking about CPS being involved and how serious that really is because you literally can lose your child. Yeah, I mean it's it's seriously. I mean honestly, that is the message that they're sending is you know comply with whatever protocol. Doesn't matter how harmful it might be to the child doesn't matter if you just even have a simple question that's the that's the message that they're trying to send comply or we will contact cps and it's clearly the mo of the hospital uh, lucille packard I, as hope was telling me i spoke with her yesterday and uh, they were as she was leaving they were knocking cps was knocking on the the, the room next door 
going in to to talk to a family. So that seems to be their MO. Um, And it's unfortunately something that's happening more and more. And Michelle, that's been your experience as well. Oh, yeah. Just yesterday, I was asked for for help for a family that has their dad in the emergency room with COVID right now. He apparently had COVID 30 days ago. They put him on Paxlovid and Paxlovid did what it does. And he had rebound COVID now. So he's back in the hospital. They're wanting to hang remdesivir on him right here in my own city. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is still happening? So when I had the family go to the um, hospital powers and, and question, obviously, what the policy and protocol is, they said, um, ma'am, the remdesivir is FDA approved. So I'm not really sure why you're giving us a problem with this drug. This is FDA approved for COVID. And I told her, she's like, what do I say to that? I said, you tell them that every drug that ever killed anybody was FDA approved and you do not want it and make sure you get it on the patient's record and get him to sign it. Um, It's his second round of COVID, you know, in 30 days, he's getting his second bout of it as a 60 year old man. And this is a child we're talking about here. You know, it's almost like when a child is involved, they think they can, like you say, medically kidnap the child and take over. But even with an adult, with with an adult right now, we can't hardly fight for just saying no to a drug we don't want. Exactly. And and that's, you don't even need a reason. You don't need a reason. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it's a Tylenol, you have the right to refuse any medication, any intervention. You don't have to give a reason why. No, I don't want that drug. And the nurses to chart it, patient refused. And that's it. There's not any argument. Now, could you pray? Could you potentially provide more education? Sure, you could. At the end of the day, it's the patient's decision whether or not that they want that medication or not. And again, they don't need to have a reason. So whether or not it's FDA approved is really of no no, uh, consequence or concern to anybody. Um, but I find it interesting, though, that this that that they're still giving remdesivir and that this is still, you know, you know, because I asked, I texted you last night. I said I have put away that link for the remdesivir trial. Clearly, this nurse hasn't read it. Kimberly, can you put your hands on it? So Kimberly was able to grab it, and I sent it to the family last night and said, you know, let's get an email from the nursing staff. Say, hey, I would like an email to this staff. And please send, give that to me. And I said, we'll be really nice. And we'll send them an email with the links to the FLCCC uh, hospital care for the COVID patient. And we will give them the links to the remdesivir studies that clearly they have not read, that they do not know the 53% mortality rate associated to this of you know, causing renal, uh, renal failure. And the man already has kidney uh, dysfunction from something. I can't remember what the reason was. So he's coming in there with already existing kidney dysfunction. And they want to put him on a drug that has documented 53% renal failure associated to it. And it it's almost like you can't make this stuff up. Like, are we seriously having this conversation? And as soon as you start sending emails like that, yeah, I make sure at the end of the email, it says everything on this um, email must be copied and added to the patient record. We want this on the patient record that this was sent in case they end up doing something litigious to this person and giving because we know sometimes they will go ahead and hang the remdesivir. And something will happen to the patient and we may have a lawsuit on our hands eventually. We want as much evidence as possible that we tried to stop that. 
Yeah. And I think it's so important that, that, you know, people need to have patients need advocates at their bedside at all times, because that we've seen that happen multiple times where, you know, the medication has been refused. They've administered it anyway. Um, you know, they, they use different names. They'll call it Veclery. They'll call it Remdesivir. Um, and they just come in and, and do this. Um, so it's so important to have, again, an advocate. If you can't have an advocate or family member in place, it's just so important to have an advocacy plan, whether that be a nurse advocate or um, a friend, a family member, somebody needs to be advocating on behalf of these patients. Um, we just addressed the death of the first nurse to go to Congress right. and she was killed because she died. She's dead because nurse and uh, um, failure to treat. They didn't care for her. She nurse neglect. Yeah. So a nurse that's historically important first black nurse, maybe to go into Congress. I'm not sure what, which one it was or first black woman to go to Congress. But anyway, here, here she is this historic woman and it was medical neglect that ends up causing her death it's just uh, mind-blowing that and her son was beside her bed there trying to get help but there was no nurses there because they were all in a training session unavailable so that's happening right now even with family so remnant nursing like kimberly has access and links to can let you provide pay for someone to be beside your bedside that's more than a loved one they can actually do something more powerful because they're medical and they know how to stir the pot and say the right things and make trouble and get the right authorities involved. Whereas a family member is just frustrated, brokenhearted, trying to get their help. And they can even get feisty and, and problematic too, but they may not know what the right questions are to ask to fight for. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's what I think is most invaluable about having a practitioner uh, to assist with these kinds of things. So like in Hope and Autumn's case, uh, I spoke with one of the other practitioners who was also consulting on the case with us. Uh, he was an, a medical doctor who had had experience in uh, managing uh, these types of child kidnapping cases. And what he said really uh, struck a bell with me about the way that they, the way that that hospitals weaponize CPS. That was the word he used. And I felt that it so accurately um, portrayed the way that these scenarios unfold because the parents oftentimes go in with the best intentions, but then because of their care and concern for their child uh, and their constant uh, oversight with the way that medical care is given, which is not always necessarily uh, quite as tightly uh, done, I would say, in adult medicine. You know, our families are generally involved, but not to the same level as a parent with their child in a hospital. But the hospitals really do that. They weaponize CPS. It's like this, this overshadowing uh, fear that their children will be taken away if the parents don't just do what they're told. And so really parents lose uh, the right to advocate for their children. So in scenarios like that, where we have children in these situations, it's even more important for an advocate, uh, and health, a healthcare professional, like you said, Michelle, just to be there to get feisty and ask the right questions at the right times to um, make sure that these uh, things are um, being properly done the way that that they're meant to, that these children are being protected. 
um, that what that brings up to me when you said weaponizing a CPS in the case of um, Take Care of Maya, they specifically show you how the hospital transferring the case to CPS almost washes the hands of the hospital for responsibility for everything that happens after that. They can actually policy-wise blame shift all the bad decisions onto CPS. Well, we trust CPS to make the best decision in these situations. And they deem that it was better that the mother never be back in the room again, or that the hospital take over the, the care of the, of the child. And in doing that, the child overheard all of the horrible things being said about her mother. She's just a child. So she's interpreting the world through the lens of wherever she's being left. And she's being left inside of a hospital bed to call home for months as the parents are not allowed inside the room and the new parent for the child is all these changing shift staff members who have zero skin in the game for the outcome of that child, not just her health, because these kids are more than just their health condition that's being treated. They have a mind and body and soul and spirit that's going on here. And they're literally damaging the soul and spirit of these children by denying them essentially parental care, parental love, parental nurture that you're supposed to have on a daily basis with your parent. And they're taking those people away from them in the name of the medical condition, that the medical condition supposedly trumps every other need the child has. It's unbelievable. And that's exactly what they did with Autumn. Uh, They ended up uh, using that, using CPS as a tool to disarm the parents, take away their rights, and then blame everything that went wrong. I it was it was astounding to sit there in the meeting. So I went to court with Autumn and her family when they did call the CPS hearing because they ended up. Um, they ended up bringing the family in for a CPS hearing. It was completely illegal. I've come to find out later, uh, we had an attorney who got involved who ended up writing up a very, you know, a very stern letter to the courts and uh, pointing out all of the different ways that they had overreached. But uh but in the CPS hearing, I mean, not only did the hospital uh, use the courts to take away the parents' rights, but every single one of the claims that they brought forward, I could have, if they would have allowed me as a healthcare professional who had been following the case for the entire time, I could have rebutted every single one of the things that the CPS case brought forward. But the judge wouldn't even allow us to speak. And that was the biggest, one of the biggest slaps in the face to the whole team and the family uh, regarding this entire situation is that we had three different healthcare providers and two lawyers attend the CPS hearing and they would barely allow us to speak. I got my voice in edgewise because I basically interrupted the judge, but- uh, She sure did. I was so so proud of you in that moment. It was so unbelievable what they were doing to turn the parents into the bad guys in that situation. And you know, what's really important to note as well is that, so, you know, we had attorneys, we had two attorneys, we had attorneys that were even licensed in that state, I believe, but it didn't matter. It doesn't even matter if they're licensed in that state, if they're not a part of their, um, there's, there's a specialized training that they have to have uh, in order to even speak, appear, or, or represent anybody in family court. So it's, it's really difficult. It's like they have their own, uh, you know, 
um, people, <laughs> for that lack of a better word, their own uh, team of people that you have to choose from. So in, it's you cannot bring, it's almost impossible to bring in outside representation for these families. So the, the odds are really, really stacked against people. And I do see um, we're coming up on a break here, but I do see that Nurse Jody has jumped on as well. So I'll be excited to get her perspective here in just a minute. Um, but when we get back from break, of course, um, but uh, there's so much to dig into on these on these cases. It's, it's, it's an absolute nightmare, and we really need to start focusing more on that. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa, 24-7, great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health and supporting gut health, to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Lean, pure, with premium ingredients, Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD, Global Healing giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX. Because it works. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. 
Now, George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, we are discussing the ongoing crisis of medical kidnappings in America. I'm here with Nurse Michelle. Uh, I've been here with Nurse Gail McRae and Nurse Jody O'Malley has just joined us. Um, so I just want to kind of get back into what we've been talking about. We talked a lot about the situation with four-year-old Autumn Shaw, who was medically kidnapped by Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Palo Alto, California. Uh, we advocated and were able to successfully uh, get her removed from that hospital. Um, thanks in large part to Gail, who was a huge part of our advocacy team on that. But I really want to make sure that I'm letting people know that this is not an isolated incident. I have had three families reach out to me at Remnant Nursing in just the past two weeks alone with similar situations. Uh, there was a seven-year-old boy in Tennessee. He was uh, recently diagnosed with cancer. And the uh, family just wanted a second opinion. The mother only asked for a second opinion. They were wanting, of course, to do the standard treatment, you know, chemo, radiation, and surgery. And the mother just asked questions about potential alternatives. And uh, for asking that question, they contacted CPS and they removed the uh, mothers. They temporarily restrained the mother from being at the hospital with her child um, just for asking for a second opinion. So again, I really want to underscore the importance of what is happening and the the need to have an advocacy plan in place because you don't think you it's you never think it's going to happen to you, but as we are seeing, it's happening every single day. So I do want to talk about we do have this event coming up in Georgia, Buford, Georgia, next steps for nurses. Um, it, and we're going to be highlighting a lot of uh, great programs that we have uh, and opportunities for healthcare workers. But on that afternoon. Um, we've decided to open this up to the general public um, and we are opening this up to families. We are going to be bringing in uh, the family of Autumn, Autumn Shawl. We're going to bring in the baby. We're going to bring in her entire family and we're going to unite them with the advocacy team that uh, worked so diligently around the clock on her behalf. Um, that's going to be very powerful. We're going to have an advocacy panel um, and we're going to be answering questions. But more importantly, we're going to be providing educational resources and teaching families how to advocate for themselves in these situations. Um, you know, we're, we're going to really empower them with the tools that they need and let them know that our team is there to assist and intervene as necessary. But I think it's really, really important if you can come out um, I, again, that, that portion of it is going to be March 17th 
and beginning at 1 p.m. It will be open to the general public free admission. And we do have a $25 suggested donation there. But the entire conference, if you're interested in it, is Next Steps Conferences. And you can visit uh, the website. It's next-steps.info. We'll include all of the links in the show notes. Um, but I just I want to come back in and start talking about another case that was really big uh, in the news recently, and that is the case of Maya Kowalski. And I think, you know, Michelle, I know that you and Jody have both seen uh, this documentary. And if you've not seen it, I do highly recommend uh, taking a look. But Michelle, you want to and Jody, you want to give a little bit of a background for our listeners who may not be familiar. Jody, you want to lead on that? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, fill in the, help me fill in the details, Michelle, for what I don't remember. But before I start, uh, doing that, listening to you, Kimberly, what came to mind is a nurse on retainer, um, similar to having an attorney on retainer, right? Uh, lots of people who are in positions to be able to afford one usually have one that is on retainer. And then whenever they need anything, they can call and get their advice. I think that holds true with what you have going on with remnant and having a nurse advocate at the bedside, you know, whether or not like, um, you know, the doctors or, you know, the administration at the hospital, you know, would necessarily respect that, you know, a nurse is the advocate. I mean, they do because they understand that's a huge role that we have, but they're afraid, right? We're just not worth the trouble, you know, to, to mess with, you know? So if, if anybody ever finds themselves in a situation like that, knowing that you do have a nurse advocate, they're on the side that will ask the questions. Um, they probably wouldn't target you, you know, as far as the medical kidnapping, uh, you know, having a, having the advocate, you know, CPS would, um, they, they just wouldn't go that far. I don't think so. Right. That's why it's so important with what your organization is doing and why we all support you, uh, tremendously is because it's not only putting nurses to work, but it's also giving families uh, the peace of mind and, you know, stress kills. I say that all the time. It's like, it's a silent killer and just knowing that you're prepared is huge. So um, thank you for all you do. And um, I've been just sharing you more and more uh, recently um, because I'm cognizant of it. Right. <laughs> I always knew that you had something good going on, but now I'm like, Oh no, no, everybody needs to know. But it's as far as uh, it is, but as far as this case with Maya, she was a, a young girl that had this disease. Uh, I can't remember exactly oh, what it was. Yeah. It's called complex, complex regional pain, pain yeah. syndrome. Complex oh, yes. Pain syndrome. So very hard to diagnose pain all over her whole body, handicapping her. Yes. And then um, and the mother, who was also a nurse, she sought um, alternative treatment. Making a long story short, she found this doctor in Mexico uh, and Maya was getting better. She was getting doing very well on this alternative therapy, not all the uh, pharmaceuticals. You remember what she was on, Michelle? And they put her on ketamine, major yeah. high doses of ketamine. Mm -hmm. Right. So ketamine is here a schedule one narcotic or something, right? So it's a, um, we, we don't have, and, and feel free to, if, 
you know, weigh in too, Gail, if you're familiar with ketamine. But I know that I've been hearing a lot more about that being um, a good therapy for a lot of um, a lot of issues that and even microdosing. But anyway, I stray off the topic. Um, so the Maya was doing very well on this. She has this what her mom thought was like maybe a flu or something. Um, and she goes in the hospital, she gets this flare up and then they're wanting to put her on all this medication that she was on prior. Um, and or the mom's like, no, like she's doing very well on this other stuff from this licensed physician. And they're like, Oh really? We'll get us his information. She gets the information. The physician tells them what they're, what they're doing. And then the target begins. Yeah, Michelle, it, yeah, it came down to that actually about the ketamine that the nursing staff and the medical staff within America treating her said, oh, my gosh, this is way too high of do dosing for ketamine for a child. And they looked at the parent as if they were um, hyper dosing their child on a narcotic. I, and I'm not an expert on ketamine. So one of y'all can weigh in on that, like um, Jody said. But this mother had gone through years of help, doctors and hospitals all around this very area. That hospital may have even been involved primarily originally and had failed to help this kid. So this mother and father were looking for desperate measures wherever they could because it was their child. They're the ones invested in the welfare of the child. They found a doctor using, yes, ketamine isn't thought of as a natural supplement. It's not like taking um, bromelain or something like that from pineapples, but it, and it was a drug given at a certain dosing at a certain frequency. And this, pe these people thought the mom was basically making a narcotic addict out of their child. And then the next thing, you know, the parents are being removed from the situation because mom, who's a well-educated nurse, um, is being given the diagnosis of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a huge deal. You know, it's like, I think the thing to really highlight here is that the medical community is not, does not embrace that, which it does not know. Right. Unless Fauci or HHS says, Hey, do this, then they listen. Uh, but, but we know that doctors don't research the way that they should. Uh, same with nurses, you know, we, we all took an oath when we, you know, became licensed and said that we would do continuing education. Most people don't. That's just the facts of it. And uh, and so it was awful that this had happened to her. And long story short, the mom, the daughter's taken away. She gets phone calls. I mean, this is just a traumatic experience for both of them, especially the mom. And she went back and forth, back and forth, fighting, fighting. And she was like, you know what? This it would probably just be better if I'm gone. Yeah, if I'm gone, then the dad can at least see her. Um, yeah, because yeah. The was forced to say the lawyer said when they ask you if we let this girl come home to you, dad, are you going to let the mother see the child? And the lawyer said the only answer is to lie and say, of course, I'm not going to let the mother see the child because they will never let your child out of that hospital until you say you're not going to do it. 
And, you know, I hate to judge him, but he was more passive in his approach to how the, the battle went with the hospital. So he was actually frequently saying to his wife, you know, just lay off for a while. Just don't let them do it. Don't combat them quite so strongly. And I was actually, as a mom, bonding with the, the, the mother to say she knew the head knowledge medically, the harm that was being done to her child. And she was fired up. And y'all have all seen me have to fight for people before. You know, if I'm if I'm fighting for you, I'm fighting for blood. You know, we're going to win and we're not going to let them hurt you. But this mother was that mama. You're not going to hurt my kid. And um, they they did. They put, they shut that mother up and got her out of there and ultimately led to her suicide. And ultimately, that's really the power where the power of having a nurse advocate comes in is because we can step in and bridge that gap between the families and the hospital. Because as a family, uh, you know, you are potentially liable in this current climate and day and age to become um, weaponized by the medical system. They, they are prone to do this to families. So having a nurse, like you said, I loved that, um, Jody, like a lawyer, like having a nurse on retainer to engage in situations when, you know, you don't necessarily know what the outcomes might end up being could potentially save the, the spiritual wellness, the health and well-being, and, uh, you know, really the, the improving the whole outcome for the family. So uh, I love that that we're having this discussion because parents really, I don't think, are aware of it. And that's the sad part is that when they don't personally experience these kinds of things, they don't really understand the full grasp of what's at stake. So having these conversations... It could be it anyone, anybody listening, this could happen to you. Everybody needs to see the movie, um, take care of Maya, because when this, when this happens to somebody, you know, you will not be ready for it. If you have not made a plan before you end up in a hospital setting. Yeah. You know, I'd like to add to this because it, it, it reminds me, uh, I'll be brief. Um, my daughter, uh, upon giving birth to my grandson, there was a CPS worker that came in the room and she said, we need to go over to your house and do a, and do a, um, inspection. And she's like, excuse me for what? And they said, because you tested positive for marijuana um, when you were pregnant. And she said, that's my first appointment. My very first appointment. She said, I never smoked after that. And, um, and they said, yeah, even if you just have one test. So, so first of all, they didn't even tell her that they were drug testing her urine. That is a specific order that needs to go in. Okay. This isn't like a urinalysis and culture. This, uh, this is a specific order that tested her for drugs in her system when she gave them absolutely no reason not to. Okay. Or to be suspicious. And, um, so anyway, she winds up complying. The husband has to leave at the hospital and I take her home. Right. So he misses out on that experience and goes with the CPS worker to, to look at their beautiful, you know, ho her house in Scottsdale. Right. Not saying that, you know, Things don't happen anywhere. But again, this was from one positive test. She winds up going, okay, that, that was fine. Uh, the, they 
call the nurse and say that, oh, she can leave. Like, literally, we could not leave until it was done. And you know your girl. I was in uproar about this. I said, we are not doing this. And my daughter's like, mom, please just don't be the nurse. Be my mother right now. And then I had to shut up, you know? <laughs> and and so I did. And so anyway, that was fine. She gets a phone call um, later that they're doing a surprise visit. And I happened to be there at that day. So this is like a few weeks later. They show up. And they, they do the inspection and everything and, or no, they come in the door and she's like, please don't say anything. Well, at this point I couldn't help it after they were done. And I realized that they had good rapport and everything. The, and the girl had told her, um, you know, that there was somebody that didn't make good documents and that's why we're back. You know, I had said to her, I said, wow, like this is just un unbelievable to me. I said, I'm an ER nurse and I see what crises we have on our streets today. And really you are putting in this many resources for one 28 year old girl who is married and having a baby and tested positive at her very first checkup. And the baby probably, they already knew fully assessed as a healthy baby with no signs yes. of withdrawal. No. Yes. I mean, absolutely nothing. Those, those of us that actually work in newborn, like you were too, Gail. I mean, we know when a baby is coming off of drugs because there are evidences and signs of a baby that's withdrawing from drugs. Absolutely. And the sad part of this too, is that once that CPS file has been opened, she then becomes a target for future scenarios. There's a family I know up in New Hampshire who had a similar situation. The mother tested positive during her first visit of pregnancy for marijuana, got off of it. Everything else went fine. She was a great mother at the second um, delivery I believe something similar, CPS got involved and now they're trying to take both of her children away. And I had yeah. known this family personally, they are incredible parents. And I'm sad to say, uh, Jody, that you're absolutely right, is that <clears throat> we're investing all these resources with CPS in dividing families. And that's really what... <clears throat> this is. And although I'm sure that many of them have good intentions, it's causing so much chaos and destruction in very functional families. Yes. Uh, like in Autumn's case, uh, you know, they, the father was a police officer. They, sh the mother was, uh, she had had extensive um, education in, in psychology. And I think she worked in that field. She would, from every single experience I had with her, she was a phenomenal mother. And this whole scenario, not only did it come near to taking the life of her child it completely devastated the family and mm -hmm. and in addition to that now they will remain a target and so that's another really terrible outcome of all of this and and why you know again i'm going to keep ringing this bell you know having an advocate of at at beck and call a nurse a medical expert to aid a family in situations where medical overreach is becoming more and more of a concern every day for our loved ones is absolutely essential.
Right. And those, I will say that they'll tell you, oh, we have patient advocates in the hospital. Those are not patient advocates. Those are hospital advocates. They are looking out for the best interests of the facility they are employed by every time. So uh, don't, don't get confused by thinking you have a patient advocate at your disposal um, by by these people that come in. It's pretty much just case management. I think that comes down and and says that they're a patient advocate, but their uh, best interest is is always going to be protecting the facility. Yeah. And following policy and protocol. Exactly. I mean, so you know what, the, the best place actually is never to get into this damn system to begin with. Yes, homeschool, homeschool, home birth, homeschool, home birth, homeschool, everything. And then, yes. Right. And then just like they're doing now, or they've been doing for decades, they've been targeting the children. Hence, we were the children. And that's why we don't know as much as we should. That's what we need to do. Like keep our kids home, train the crap out of them, educate the crap out of them, and then re-release them back into society. Like Gail, Gail, is, like, Gail is homeschooled, right? And Michelle and then, homeschools all her children, right? That's yeah. Yeah. exactly why I'm doing this. So I was actually, my master's degree was as a certified nurse midwife. And the reason that I went into that field is because I witnessed, I witnessed so much overreach and honestly, uninformed consent, battering of women in the labor and delivery during one of the most vulnerable times in their lives that I went into that field. And in addition to that, I delivered babies um, in rural Africa. And so when it came time for me to have my own children, I had been blessed with the experiences to understand that I could advocate for myself in having a home birth for my own children. So I did. I had my children at home and it was the best decision of my life. But I I mean, we could get into this on, on another call. You know, that's a whole nother thing too, is the disempowerment aspect. And that's something I think that plays in with um, Autumn in her family, but as well as with mothers having children in the hospital is that we've disempowered we've disempowered parents, we've disempowered mothers so much from knowing how to advocate for their children and for knowing how to advocate for themselves in these kinds of situations in hospitals that, you know, out of the gate, we come out uh, not really having the skill set to succeed. And that's ultimately why I ended up getting that master's trying while trying to get that master's degree was because I wanted to teach women how to advocate for themselves and prevent um, medical overreach in the labor and delivery with birthing mothers because right. it, it it bleeds over into every aspect of medicine, into labor and delivery, into the pediatrics, and into the adult populations. Yeah, I was the adult hip surgery patient that just stirred the pot by saying, no, I'm not going to wear that mask as a person just coming out of the operation room. And they brought in four white coat people into this post-operative. I I had just, I'm on meds. I have oxygen on my nose. And they bring in four white coat people to intimidate me. So I I just can't be intimidated in a situation like that. But the majority of people are going to be intimidated by that. The first words out of my mouth was, oh, you're trying the white coat intimidation thing. But I'm a white coat, so it's not going to work. But the average person is going to be threatened by that. And it was threatening. And because I felt the threatening kind of come in my guts, I was like, oh, well, let's just go and get the CEO in here too while we're at it. So we can just get this over with in one time because I've got to recover. Yeah, but you're you're <laughs> absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yep. 
is that the people, the hospitals and the, the medical system has really frightened women into believing that they cannot have a safe and beautiful home birth experience. And that's just, it's simply not true. We are actually going to be introducing a midwifery component to remnant nursing. So I'm really excited about that. We were talking more about that over the last couple of weeks. We have some incredible midwives and doulas that nice. are coming in because yeah, it, listen, we, we've got to keep these babies out of the system because it all starts in the system. I don't care how many times you tell them, no, I don't want that happy vaccine. How many times have we seen it accidentally given because the nurses are on autopilot. They're so used to just going ahead and giving it. Oh, I thought I saw a consent in there. So it happens all the time and you can't um, unvaccinate a child. So I think it's Absolutely. really important from, from the, the get-go that we are um, keeping these babies out of the system from the very, very beginning. Well, we are, I can't believe how this, this really went by very, very quickly, but what an amazing conversation uh, with you ladies. Thank you so much, Gail. Thank you for joining us. We will definitely have you back. Your insight as always is incredible. And, and we're so thankful for you. Uh, can't wait to see you in Georgia. We're all going to be there, by the way, in Georgia. We'll have all of your nurses out loud hosts. We'll have Gail there and the incredible team of advocates. Um, we'll be there along with uh, Autumn Shaw and her family and uh, so many more incredible speakers will be there as well. Again, next-steps.info for more information and we'll include all of those in the show links. And it's going to be at Lake Lanier Islands, Georgia. Yes. For those in Georgia, it's a beautiful place to come. Absolutely. It's absolutely, it's like a resort. So it'll be like a little vacation for all of us, which I think is much needed. And that's why I'm really glad we were able to uh, get, get Autumn's family. Um, we, we were able to, to cover those expenses for them to come out. And I feel like it'll be really, really good for them to have that, um, to have that opportunity to have almost like a vacation and just time together as a family after everything that they've been through. But that is all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can also catch the encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Remember that we are in a war for truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time.